Hi there, my name is Adam Waters, and I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Bible Church in Elmhurst, Illinois. I'm just so glad that you made the decision to take us along with you this week on life's journey. Here at Grace Bible Church, we are a family of faith who seeks forgiveness, healing, and hope in Jesus Christ. Now, we might all come from different backgrounds, but each of us recognize that the tremendous needs in our lives point us to one place, to God, for His answers, His provision, and mostly, for His grace. I hope the following program gives you a new perspective on who God is, who you are, and how you too might find forgiveness, healing, and hope in our Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening. Today is indeed a joyous day. I want to welcome all of you to Grace Bible Church. My name is Adam Waters. For those of you who don't know, I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Bible Church, and it is a, it is a splendid day. Not only is it a great day because we are here together worshiping the Lord, but also because, and maybe even for Johnny certainly today, this is the demonstration, the culmination of God working through this man's heart in a miraculous way. Today is the day that we celebrate what God has done in Johnny's life, starting just a couple of years ago, but we see his hand woven through his whole life and through all the people that he's met and all the experiences that he has had. So today we'll be doing a baptism. What is baptism? It's an important question because there are some misconceptions about it. The Bible teaches that baptism, first and foremost, is a demonstration. It is a symbol of a life that has been put to death in Christ, and is raised again anew. Baptism in and of itself does not forgive sins. Only Jesus Christ forgives sins. Baptism in and of itself does not, is not the instrument that Jesus uses. His blood is the instrument through our faith and trust in him. And so today, Johnny will be making a profession of faith. And so if you want to come on down, Johnny, you can Thank you. Yeah, take your time. Mike is yours. I'll forget your glasses if you need <laughs> Hello, family. My name is Johnny. Love you all. I'm a wrench, a wretched man who has offended God beyond imagination. I never can make it up for myself. I've gone through the sinner's prayer several times in the last 20 years, but I never took it seriously until recently. I've been told that God now works at looks at me through a filter, the filter of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world through his blood. I'm looking forward to pleasing the Lord with anything that he tells me to do through the Holy Spirit. I understand that this is a public display of my devotion of the one who suffered, died, and was raised again to pay the ransom for my sins. I feel like shouting it from the rooftops. <laughs> the wages of sin is death. I, I earn death. The gra grace is getting what you don't deserve. I don't deserve salvation, but he gave it to me anyway. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. I deserve to die for my sins, but Jesus paid my ransom. Yeah. 
Johnny, because of your profession and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your trust in him, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Let's thank God for what he has done in the life of this man, and let's pray that God would give us the, uh, the supernatural ability to continue to walk with him along this path. Amen. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would be with us. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you're here this day and that you are witnessing this moment of joy as Johnny uh, renounces his old life, forsakes it, and trusts in you in a public way. Lord, we just give you so much praise and thanks for what you have done. We pray that you would equip us and give us energy as Johnny's brothers and sisters in the Lord to lead him well and to guide him each day. Thank you, Dan, for that prayer, particularly for Johnny, because um, having just made a public profession of faith, he is at a particularly vulnerable time in his spiritual walk. Satan would like nothing more than to show that everything that he just said was meaningless to him. Often when we do a work for the Lord or when we make a declaration or make a testimony of what the Lord has done in our life, that makes us targets. And we have bullseyes on our back. And if we are not uh, cautious in relying on the right strength, the right tools, the right weapons, the right people, we will end up falling back instead of proceeding further and further along the road with Jesus Christ by grace. We end up earning and seeking to earn instead of trusting and embracing what's already been earned for us. It's so easy to start strong and take our foot off the gas, stop trusting the Lord and begin to look to other things until pretty soon we're at a place where we never thought we would be again. Our spiritual battles are only fought by the strength, weapons, and people of the Lord. And this is what we're going to talk about today in our final installment of our series on the book of Ephesians. Paul ends up a long discussion about what God has done through Christ by grace behind the scenes, and therefore how we should live as a result of those truths in the here and now and with one another. And he ends his discussion. He ends this letter that has been saved for 2,000 years for us today to speak to us today on what it means to fight spiritual warfare. For he certainly knows that we are going to need it. For though we have been saved by the blood of Christ and we have been set aside, declared holy because of the blood of Christ and our faith in him and what he has done, there's still skirmishes. There's still work to be done. Satan has not been banished in the completest sense or most complete sense. And so we, if we're not careful, will fall under attack and fight with the wrong things. The wrong things. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 24. If you do not have a Bible, we have one here in the pew for you. It's a little bit different of a translation, but you should be able to follow along. Otherwise, we're going to have the text up here in the translation I will be using so you can uh, see what we're reading there. Paul in this passage from 6.10 all the way through the end makes three very important points that we would be wise to instill into our hearts, to remind ourselves of that we would fight 
not in our own strength, but in the strength of the Lord. And that's the first point. We fight spiritual battles. We fight this flesh. We fight against those beings that seek to dislodge us from our cling unto Christ. We do so with the strength of the Lord. Verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Paul, in his final instructions, gives us an imperative. Be strong. This word is in the present tense. It means continue to stand the way you've been standing. Continue standing firm in the Lord. It's interesting. Paul could have just said, strengthen yourself, (laughs) but he doesn't. He says, be strong. His use of a passive here reminds us that our strength comes from without and not from within. This is called what theologians and biblical scholars call the divine passive. As you read through the scripture again and again, you see verbs that are put into the passive voice. If you remember back from high school grammar, I don't know, maybe they teach it in middle school, I wasn't paying attention. High school grammar, when you're speaking in the active voice, that means the subject of the clause is performing the action of the verb. When you're speaking in the passive voice, it means the subject of the clause is receiving the action of the verb. When you read through the scripture, you see again and again passives used with response to what God is doing upon us. In other words, we call ourselves the subject way too much. God is the subject. God is the one performing the actions in our life, and it's God's strength that we should stand and be strong in, putting our faith and trust in Christ. We stand by faith in the power of his might. Not our own, because in the end, it can feel like we're all alone and it's all on us. But indeed, the whole scripture tells us this is not the case. Christ, the only omnipotent one, he is the one to whom we look for our strength. He's capable of doing anything he chooses. He chooses that which is in accordance to his character. You know, We make a serious mistake when we conceive of God's power as like anything else here on earth. If you watch popular media or movies, you'll see battles against good and evil. I mean, it's a common trope that we see for thousands of years, the struggle between good and evil. Seems to me when we watch television and read books, what makes for a good story is an equally weighted battle. One where we bite our nails, not sure who's going to win at the end. In fact, all will seem lost until finally one day a hero comes. Sounds a lot like the Christ we adore, does it not? But when we continue in that belief that our battle against evil, that our, um, the, the spiritual realities that are going on behind the scenes of good against evil are equally matched, we're at a severe disadvantage. Because at the end of the day, if we look in the book of Revelation, God, literally the end of the day, God will say, Christ will say, enough. And it will forever, once and for all, be so obvious to us the strength that Christ holds in his hand and offers to us as his brothers and sisters. We have access to such strength, his might. And we act out of our own, thinking that We're the big show. We read about famous military battles and 
I'm reading right now about, um, you know, first century BC, first century AD history, trying to broaden my understanding of the environment in which this is written. And even books that are written about the Bible and about Christianity and the origins of Christianity have a lot to say about famous battles. That time, especially battles were pivotal pivotal moments in the life of of a nation. And they changed the tide of culture. They changed the tide of religion. We'd say this battle was won with this many troops and legions against this commander, but he was smarter, and so he won, even though he had a smaller force. The battles we fight, and our general, it's not like that. There's no equal pitting. We serve the king of kings, the general of the Lord's armies, the one for whom all things will be handed on the last day, the one who holds all strength and might in his hand and invites us to stand in it. I mean, I'm convicted when I think about some of the things I worry about in life. Maybe you can resonate with that. At the end of the day, Christ holds all power. You see, our pride in ourselves, our misperceptions about our world or our place in it, and our frequent distrust of the Lord— moves us to believe that we are the prime movers. We are the ones affecting change in this world. We are the ones upon whom it is incumbent to make changes and only us. We possess the fount of strength from which we must draw to battle the forces of evil and the challenges of life, yet we often do not. I'm here to say to you today, reminding myself along the way, look to Jesus. It's his strength in which we stand. Often we can have pride in ourselves. I can do it myself. Many of us don't like to ask for help. It admits in some way a vulnerability or a lack of power, a power imbalance, a need for someone else to do something for us, and it can make us feel, in our pride, it can make us feel weak and less than. We often live life here, dealing with the people, places, and things of our world as if we are the director We are the center of our universe. If everyone just did it the way I suggested, if everyone would just live life around me in the way that I tell them to, life would be grand for me. Now, we live in a world where everyone thinks they're the center of their universe and everyone is directing their own show. We're bound to step on some toes in the process. We have misperceptions about our world and our place in it. Cultural norms, think of the United States, the rugged individualism, the pull yourself up by your bootstraps, which turns into, for many believers, practical atheism. I will go to church on Sunday, I will know God's word, I will even do devotions, but when everything is said and done, when when I am called to live like Christ, I do it in my own strength. Pick myself up and do it. Practically forgetting that there's a God We live in a meritocracy where if you want more stuff, you work harder. Those who do better receive more. I would argue that in the scriptural economy, the only merit Christ or anyone looks at is Christ's merit. And the way we obtain that is through our trust in the Lord. So the question could be is, not how do you work, how much do you trust? Misconceptions in our world and our place in it, like psychological traumas. Filters and lies that we've learned somewhere in life that when we interpret the world around us, they get 
skewed. A victim mentality. It says, I have no power whatsoever. And so what's the point? Sometimes we live without the realities of the unseen spiritual world. What, what Paul is talking about today. But I think most often, it's a mistrust of the Lord. I don't say distrust because there are areas in our life that we're all too ready to give over to the Lord and say, please fix it. I trust you. But it's not all inclusive. So we mistrust him. We give him what we need him to change. We ask him at the blood of, based on the blood of Christ for something in this area. But I don't want to talk about it over here. Our misperceptions about who God is. Is he incapable of acting in my situation? I need to do it myself then. Is he unwilling? Is God really good and loving? I have to fend for myself then. So on the one hand, we can have too small of a vision of God's strength. And on the other hand, we can have too small of a vision of God's heart. I'm here to tell you today that God is capable that God is powerful and able to make anything he wants to affect here on earth, in your life, in your heart, in your character, happen. We simply need to trust in him. I was at a retirement ceremony yesterday, and the Lord's telling me to say this, I don't know. I was at a retirement ceremony yesterday, and uh, a woman was retiring from a rehab facility. She was a nurse. Her husband worked, uh, basically working for a job prep organization. And it was Christmas Eve at the end of the day, and they were ready to go home and celebrate Christmas. And right when they were getting to leave, he was getting ready to leave, a woman walks in. And she says, I need a resume. And so he's like, oh, I don't really want to. Okay, that's fine. He invites her in, sits down, he gets some basic information, and pretty soon the conversation turned from a resume to her son, who was addicted to heroin. Now remember, her, his wife works at a rehab facility. And so he goes, I think I know someone that can help you find resources. So he calls his wife, he says, hey, honey, you know, I have this woman here, I think she can use your help, will you talk to her real quick? Sure. Answer the phone, talks, they get something squared away. She hands the phone back to him and he hangs up and they finish their resume. Before she leaves, she says, you're this guy, says his name. He says, yeah, that's me. And he said, and your wife is this person? Yeah, that's me. She said, this morning I was at a 12-step meeting and someone told me, you need to get in touch with the wife. I didn't know who the wife was. I didn't know anything about her. Here I walk in for a resume, hands the phone to me to talk to the woman. Okay, God can make anything happen. God can superintend this world. He superintends this world and he can change things in your life and your heart that seem hopeless. But it's from his strength that we're to fight, not our own. Lord, what do you want? Lord, I'll take the steps, but the outcome comes from you, not from me. Second principle we can learn from the text is we fight with the defensive weapons of the Lord. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you are able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Paul again tells us to put on. This is not a new idea in this book, is it? 
If we recall back in chapter 4, Paul talks about putting on Christ, putting on the righteousness of Christ, living in the uniform, as it were, of the believer. Part of our uniform is armor. Is armor. We live out the reality of the scripture despite what seems obvious to us by donning, by faith, the defensive armor of the Lord. We make the decision to appropriate these implements of war that God has graciously given to us. The question for us in this is are we willing to take the other stuff off? We're already wearing our armor, our weak, impotent armor. Armor that doesn't even stand in comparison to the forces of evil and the cosmic powers over this present darkness. And yet God is inviting us to wear his armor. So what do we need to get rid of and shun and say, I'm no longer going to rely on this, but I'm going to rely on the armor of God. The armor of God is actually something that's written about in the Old Testament. It's actually pretty interesting. As you go through, you read in Isaiah 11 and Isaiah 59, various times where God looks down upon his people and the mess that we have made of this place. God looks down and says, there is no one to battle on behalf of my beloved, Israel. There's no one to fight for those by whom I have called in my faithfulness, in my covenant love. Who will fight? God says, I will. And he depicts imagery of God putting on a helmet of salvation and donning the righteousness that is with him to come and fight the battles of his people for they lacked the ability and frankly, the desire to fight against the things of this world and against the spiritual forces, the enemies of the people of God. God, again and again, by very definition of who he is, comes into our places, into our spaces, where there is no one else to save but him. For heaven's sakes, Jesus' name says, means he saves. Jesus' name, Yeshua, means salvation in the Old Testament. Jesus is the one who come, who came and continues to fight on our behalf. We wear his armor his strength to fight against the schemes of the devil. Verse 11b, Satan is looking for the weak spot in your armor, I promise you. Satan is looking to disrupt, distract, and sow dissension in your heart, in your life, and among the people around you. And he's intentional about it. And you have to be as well. You have to be as well. In your life, when you're considering what's happening, your circumstances, the tough relationships, your struggles with sin and habits and addictions, be thinking about how is it that God or Satan is seeking to get at me? Coming to church in and of itself is not enough. Coming to church can be dangerous because we think we have the whole armor of God when we come to church. But really, we're just coming to church. There are other pieces that God is calling us to wear He's going to go through them here in a minute. We're going to see because Satan is looking to get us wherever he can. He's intentional and he will wait. At the end of the day, when we look at our life, when we look at our circumstances of what is going on and the struggles we have with people around us, Paul wants us to know, God wants us to know that our enemies are not against flesh and blood. They're against the spiritual forces behind 
the scenes and they are there. They are there. I don't know how many times, lots, when I'd be working with somebody who comes to a place where they've made a decision for Christ or they're right at the precipice. They are just right there, ready to convert and live a life in a different way, just right there. They walk away and something happens in their life. Someone shows up again. Something happens to throw them off course. Happened once. It's like, okay, coincidence. It's inevitable. It's inevitable. Again, this prayer, Dan, made for Johnny, should be resonating on our lips. My desire as we prayed after the baptism is that Johnny's in a vulnerable spot because Johnny is newly declared for the Lord. So we need to surround him and fight with him and pray with him as we do with the people in our lives as we're talking to them about the Lord. When we get to these moments where they be, we see the spirit moving in their heart, get on your knees. Get on your knees. That's the time that Satan's going to try it. We fight against rulers and authorities, cosmic powers and spiritual forces of evil. Does this absolve people of their sin? Can we look at someone who's treating us badly and say, oh, it's a demon. It's not them. They're, they're therefore guilty. No. On the other hand, you don't say it's all of them either. You recognize that there are impulses and there are things behind the scenes. And there is one who seeks to make us live in a way that dishonors the Lord who saved us. And when we approach it from that, when we see this, it changes the tenor of the whole interaction. So how do we fight evil and not people? Well, first, it's about our attitude. And we recognize, as I've talked about, that there's more going on. It's not just that person against me. It's that person and everything else seeking to disrupt my walk with the Lord. Seeking to disrupt and impugn my character, so thereby impugning the character of the Lord I proclaim. The one that I live for, the one that I say saved me. So we recognize that there's more going on. Second, we confess that the righteous outcome can only be wrought in God's strength. Okay, we sometimes make it upon, put it upon ourselves to fight with this person, to wrestle with this person, to get them where they should be. In the end, when you're interacting with somebody else, when you're interacting with sin that's in your heart, when you're struggling with a circumstance in your life, it is only God that can make that outcome happen. He is the one who's responsible for the outcome not you. It's in his strength. It's in God's timing and it's according to God's will. But us as the director of our lives, the producers of our show, we like to make ourselves believe that it's us who affects these changes. But we're not. Finally, we step out in faith. Maybe trust is a better word. Focusing on maintaining the integrity of our walk while trusting God for the outcome. In other words, when somebody is goading us, when somebody is difficult, when we're in a situation that seems like there's no way out, this is a time for vigilance. This is a time to look to the Lord and say, I, Lord, give me the strength and the grace to not do anything to dishonor your name. Because there is nothing like stress that will reveal our cracks. We can talk a good game. We can live for Christ as long as everything is going well. Until. Praise God for those moments. And Jesus says, hey, you thought you were something, huh? You didn't see that crack, did you? 
You didn't see that opening in the armor. We put on God's armor and his whole armor. Verse 13, Paul reminds us twice. The whole armor of God. It's important. There are times we only put on a piece. We leave ourselves exposed to danger in other areas. It's foolish because Satan's just going to strike us when we're not wearing it. We need the well-rounded walk with the Lord. We need to embrace everything that the Lord is calling us to believe, to trust in him for, and to live for. There's a movie that I grew up with. I will not tell you the title lest you lose respect for me. It's one of my favorite movies. There's a scene where there's two friends, and one's held hostage, and the other one needs to get his friend released. So the FBI approaches the friend and says, they concoct the plan, and they say, I want you to burst into the room, and I want you to get the hostage taker to admit something, and, to, and we'll burst in right at the last minute and save the day. So he goes in, he does exactly, exactly as he's called to do, which is interesting because throughout most of the movie he does not, and he saves the day. And his friend says, oh my, you saved me. I can't believe you risked your life to save me. He says, well, actually, the FBI gave me this bulletproof vest. And so I wasn't really doing anything. I was actually, so what if they shot you in the head? And he stops and thinks, and the FBI guy says, that was a risk we were willing to take. <laughs> Sometimes we walk around with the bulletproof vest on, some aspect of the armor, right? We rely on one piece of our Christian walk, and we assume that it is sufficient to protect us. I'm serious. I ride on this all the time because this is important. How much we know the Bible is not going to protect us. It is one aspect of what God is calling us to believe and trust him for. In other words, we read the Bible because the Lord saved us. We read the Bible because we want to know better the person who came in by grace when we were in darkness and saved us. We read the Bible because we want to fall more in love with the one who loved us first. Not because if I can pack enough in, I will be safer. I will be safer. Years ago at Asbury Seminary, there was, you know, we recently had this revival that was there. There was a series of revivals, and there was one grand revival, much bigger revival, a few decades ago. And at one point, a professor at that school came up, confessed his sins. He says, I don't even know I'm a Christian. He's a Bible scholar. He gets up, he confesses his sins. He says, I don't think I've ever really understood the Lord. I don't think I've ever really any of that. Falls down on his knees, gets saved right there. Boom. What about the previous years that he was teaching? He could have been 100% correct in his understanding of the scripture. He could have been able to navigate and debate and hold a line on what it means. But at the end of the day, it was useless. And if we're not careful, we'll assume that we're safe as a result. We need to be cautious and put the whole armor of God on. Paul, we're going to go through them briefly about uh, the various pieces. I want you to know that I don't believe Paul is giving us a prescription like we're, we need to evaluate ourselves and sort of say, okay, when I'm spiritually attacked, I need to put all these things on. What Paul is saying is, is a well-rounded, the complete embrace of our salvation and what it means to trust in the Lord looks like this. 
okay? This is our ready stance all the time, not a prescription for exercising a demon. Say it like that. I'm having spiritual battles right now, so now I'm going to don the armor. No. As we see, we stand ready to fight all the time. This is what living in the gospel reality looks like. What's what it means to embrace all of Christ. Verse 14. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Stand, he says, like a soldier in battle array, ready to fight. Because we're in a battle whether you like it or not. There are no conscientious objectors in Christianity. The second the Lord saves you, you're in the fray. Jesus tells us in Luke 12 to to stay dressed for action. We don't know when or what is going to happen. We stand prepared, watching. And Paul starts with the belt of truth. This is where it all starts for us, doesn't it? A belt sort of holds everything together. So you see a police officer, all their stuff is on their belt. A belt is important. The truth orients our minds and our hearts to the, uh, align us our, ourselves with the reality of God and what he has done in Christ. The truth is the center. We live in the reality of what Paul has been discussing in the first three chapters of this book. Because let's face it, life is confusing sometimes. I don't care how close you walk with the Lord. There are things we get into. We, I don't, I, it feels like code. It feels like code. I don't even know what to, this, I don't mean to, this is our secret decoder ring. Okay. This is our secret decoder. When life seems so confusing, we can look to the word that God speaks through us, through which God speaks to us and find the answers to life. No wonder we make such a mess when we sever our lives or don't live according to God's word. Stay dressed for action, Jesus says. Paul says, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Breastplate right here protects the vital organs for the warrior. It is the seat in the biblical realm of our emotions. This is the guts, side, kidneys, loins. It's all sort of the same thing, okay? This is the place where the we are, the us of us is. We in our modern world think of it in the brain, but in the scripture, it talks about in here, in here. Righteousness is defined as God's righteousness means the way that God acts is always in accordance with what is right and is himself the final standard of that right. So what does that mean for us? Well, in the, in the Bible, there's no separate word for justice and righteousness. They're both the same word, okay? In Hebrew and Greek, it's one word in both the languages. So when we talk about God's righteousness, we can say God's rightness. When we talk about God doing something, we say God always does that which is right. When we talk about our righteousness, we say that which we do is right or wrong, just or unjust according to God's standards. So think of the word rightness when you think of the word righteousness if it makes it easier for you. Martin Luther talked about two types of righteousness. This is important for us. There is active righteousness and a passive righteousness. There's an active righteousness where we seek out to do the right thing. There's a passive righteousness whereby God has already done the right thing through Jesus. And because we're sinners who can never do the right thing, Jesus's rightness is imputed to us. That's called passive righteousness. Well, Paul, I think, has both in mind here. 
On the one hand, when we live well, we give no foothold to the devil to begin to accuse us. How often do we think, say, or desire something that is not aligned with what we know God's will is? And we hear a quiet voice that says something like, oh, and you say you're a believer. What kind of believer would even think that? And then Satan takes that shame and uses it to get us off track. He uses our failures against us. Then no matter how much right we try to do to make up for it, he goes, oh, but I still remember that thing. Don't forget. Never forget. When we do the right thing, we don't suffer the consequences of God's judgment as seen in consequences here on earth. As consequences. But this passive righteousness piece is important too because ultimately our righteousness comes from Christ, doesn't it? That is the center of the gospel. That when we look to God, or when God looks to us, he sees Jesus. And because we are justified in Christ, the accuser has no claim. When assailed by the devil, therefore, we keep our eyes on Christ. Okay, verse 15. And the shoes, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, we must stand ready to run. You guys hear all sorts of illustrations here. And I often talk about ones in prison because they're so real. And there's such strong parallels. In a prison setting, there's a place called the day room. The day room's that center place with all the tables. Everyone plays dominoes and cards. All of the politicking gets done, all of that stuff. Depending on where you are and what kind of prison you're at, the level of danger, in other words, you never go into that day room barefoot or wearing shower shoes or just in socks because you never know what's going to happen. You keep your shoes on. You keep your laces tied. You stay strapped up, ready for action because you never know when things are going to pop off, as they say, okay? This is what it means to live the Christian life. We stand ready for action. Our shoes are on. We are ready in the gospel at any time to fight, to stand. Nehemiah and his crew, when they rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem, they built with swords on their back. They built with people standing watch, waiting for the enemy. When Jesus was in the desert and was tempted... He stood ready, and it says when Satan left him, he was waited to return to an opportune time. Satan does this to us. He's patient and will wait, and we cannot afford to be distracted. So be ready. Expect a spiritual battle. If, it is, if you're having one, good. It means you're a Christian. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Faith is the defense against the accusations, temptations, and lies of the devil. And finally, 17, not finally, 17, the helmet of salvation. Our head holds all of our sensory organs, doesn't it? In some way, everything. The way we interpret our world, the way we understand the world around us is through the lens of our salvation, what that means. And in living in that reality, we're protected from the blows of the enemy. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Some commentators note 
think this could be true, that the only offensive weapon in the battle array described is the sword. But I think when you read it, it's actually talking about a little dagger. It's a last resort kind of thing. Now, I'm not saying God's word is a last resort. I'm saying the weapon he's referring to, that dagger, is, okay? It's a short sword or a dagger. It's a defensive weapon. But what it, it's a precision instrument. It's not something you just hack away with. It is something you carefully guard, and when you need to, you parry, and you strike when you need. There are times where I've been in counseling sessions with people. Maybe you can relate. And I just want to hack them to death with the Bible. I just want to take the long, you know, the Scottish sword, the Claymore sword, and get them with it. But that's not what God calls us to. God calls us to use this little dagger and say, Lord, tell me when to thrust. Tell me where to thrust. And give me the mercy to do it quickly. Mercy to do it quickly. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. A precision instrument. God's word is essential for it reveals our true motives. And they can be sneaky. Deceptive is our heart. And it shows us where the real fight is. Sometimes we're fighting a battle on one front and making it all about some issue. But when we're really honest with ourselves, when we allow God's word to speak to what's really going on, we realize the battle's totally different place. It's being motivated by something in our heart that's ugly and sinful that the Lord wants to root out. Much of our spiritual warfare in which we are engaged relates to our deepest seated sins. And God's word speaks to that because Satan knows where to get us. Not only that, it reminds us of our victory in Christ that we have overcome in him. That when we're battered and tried, we stand because he stands. Not because we can garner enough resources. It reminds us of our victory. Verse 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. I think this is the key to the entire passage. What is it that we are doing? We're essentially living a prayer of life, a life of prayer. Certainly our devotional moments and our prayer closets in the morning, evening, whatever God calls you to do, whenever God calls you to do it, those are important. But I would argue that prayer is any time your mind is fixed on Christ. Any time you are reckoning his presence and his relationship and his love and there's this back and forth, it's a see me. In Hebrew, the be, here I am is hineni, behold me, Lord, behold me. When we can say, behold me, Lord, as we walk throughout our day-to-day, this is prayer. Times of worship are prayer. Both individually, singing songs, and as we read in the previous passage, spiritual songs, giving gratitude unto the Lord, but also corporately together here. We were standing there getting ready to be, do the baptism, and you guys were singing the last one, The Battle Belongs to the Lord, and I said, listen to that. You guys sound like a gospel choir out here. Sounded Awesome. That was the kingdom of darkness being beaten down. Great power in worship to fight the devil. Finally, third point, we fight alongside the people of God. We fight with the power of God. We fight with the defensive weapons of God. We fight alongside the people of God. Paul says, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, talking about prayer, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. 
for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. You know, Roman shields were interlocking. When you fought with your legion, your, your shield interlocked with the person next to you, and it created like a little turtle shell. Do you ever see this? They're all interlocking. So we stand with one another in the fight. When you drop your shield, not only are you without defense of your brothers and sisters who are fighting alongside you, but you're leaving an opening for the enemy to get in. This is why so much of the New Testament is talking about community and what it means. As Americans, we make salvation all about us. When really salvation is all about us. We fight with one another. We pray for one another mutually. We cannot see our own faces, can we? We're too attached to things. Our emotions are tied up. We don't even know how to pray sometimes because we don't know what the core issue is, but our brothers and sisters do. They can see it long before we can. How's it feel to know that somebody's got your back? Many times I'm walking through the hall before a Sunday morning service and someone says, how are you doing, Pastor? Sometimes I'm honest. (laughs) The other day I was honest. Let me pray for you. And I got up here and I felt like the Lord was here. We pray for each other. We're in it together. We're fighting together. No one's battle at home is severed and it's completely from what is happening here in this family. What happens to you in your household, the things you struggle with, the sins you commit, the things you are being victimized by, the people in your life who are hurting you are hurting us. This is what it means to be the body of Christ. We're in it together. And he says, pray for me that I may declare boldly. And then he sends Tychicus in order to bring mutual encouragement. Listen to what he says. So that you may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I've sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. We need this encouragement. This battle is not easy. It's hard. Every day is a fresh fight. You know, every battle scene has that rousing beginning argument, that rousing speech. Freedom, right? We need encouragement for our battle is lifelong. So we should be in the business of rousing speeches. Paul uses the word encourage here. It's actually the word parakaleo. It's the same word that we get the word paraclete which is translated as helper, counselor, advocate. It's called the Holy Spirit. So we to each other need to be something like the way the Holy Spirit is to us, pointing to Christ, acknowledging sins, being honest, but in the end, reminding ourselves of the forgiveness that is in Christ by grace. Paul finishes up, 23. Peace be to the brothers in love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love uncorruptible. Paul sums up his letter with a final reminder of the themes he masterfully wove through this entire letter. Peace, love, faith, and grace. You know, it's been my prayer that through this series, we would all have the eyes of our hearts enlightened to see the truth 
of the magnitude, the magnificence, and the miracle that God worked in Christ on behalf of us while we were yet sinners. That we would see the glory of Jesus and the surpassing grace extended to us in the cross. That we would take hold of our inheritance held in heaven and deposited within us as a down payment by the Holy Spirit so we would live in the reality of our spiritual wealthiness that we have all the riches of Christ and of heaven within us and that we would therefore live differently in a manner worthy of our gracious calling. That therefore we would love one another well and forgive because we have been forgiven. And that therefore we would stand firm in the might of the Lord, drawing on his strength, his weapons, and his people all to his glory. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we stand here before you, Lord, as a unit, a family ready, Lord. We hear your orders to stand firm in the fight, trusting one another and our mutual encouragement, looking to you for the weapons of our warfare, ultimately, Lord, relying on you in your strength. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to each one of us as we leave this place and tell us, what parts of the armor we're leaving off? Where are we not investing our life well? What part of the gospel and the truth, what part of what you have done for us on the cross are we not fully embracing? Where are we seeking to work in our own power instead of trusting in you? And Lord, we ask that you would give us wisdom and discernment to know where the enemy is seeking to invade, where the enemy is searching for that place of vulnerability. And we ask, Lord, that you would cover it in the armor of God and in the blood of Christ. We pray, Lord, that we would stand firm, that we would look to you. We pray, Lord, that you would give us the desire and the grace to pray more and more, not only recognizing who you are, where you are, but calling you to look upon us in relationship and conversation. Help us, Lord, to pray for each other and give mutual encouragement, encouraging one another all the time to stay in ranks, to lock our shields, and to trust in the Lord. We thank you, Lord, for this series and for Paul and what he has left behind for us, that our lives would be changed by your grace. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Fortresses are God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe his craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal would you stand to sing the second verse with us did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing were not the right 
white man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Just ask who that may be. Christ Jesus, it is He. Lord Sabaoth, His name, from age to age the same. And He must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled, should threaten to undo us. We will not fear, for God hath willed His truth to triumph through us. The Prince of Darkness grim, we tremble not
secure from all alarms, leaning, oh, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. Oh, what have I to dread? What have I to fear? Leaning on the everlasting arms, I have blessed peace with my Lord so near. Leaning on the everlasting arms, leaning, leaning, safe and secure from all alarms. Okay, we have uh, the joy this morning of sending off uh, 13 of our membership. GBC has a team of 13 people heading to Bolivia on Saturday. And they'll be helping Mike and Marina Shank run a conference uh, for missionaries. Now, missionaries, they're giving, they're ministering all the time. And this is an opportunity for them to be ministered to. And we want to be a part of that. Um, so we as a church have that privilege of standing behind those that we're sending out, and I'm going to read the list of team members, and uh, as you hear your name, I would ask you to come forward. If you could just come forward, we want to pray for you as you go out. So, Kara Bierga, would you please come forward, Amy Mesher. Ann Shank, Adam and Vanessa Paoli, they'll be chaperoned by AJ and Isabella. <laughs> yeah. uh, Pastor Adam and Elaine Waters, please come forward. And then we have Dave and Danielle Kopstein and their children, Josie and Olivia. So um, a great group of people. The Bolivians are never going to know what hit them, you know. Uh, but we go, they go in the power of the Lord, and we trust there will be a real blessing. Let's keep them in our prayers as they go, as we stand behind them. So let's pray. Lord, we know that you call each of us out, out from ourselves into a world that is longing for your grace, love, and truth. Lord, we thank you for these 13 of our brothers and sisters that have answered that call to be used of you to touch many lives in Bolivia. Put your hand of blessing on them, and may they be a blessing to everyone they come in contact with. And we pray for safe travel without any major hitches, if it be your will. We pray for good fellowship among team members 
and with the missionaries there in Bolivia. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. Enable them to complete their tasks faithfully and joyfully. Give this team strength, wisdom, and love to serve you well. And bring them safely home, and then let their experiences further enrich us so that we too may glorify you for all you have accomplished through them. And we pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So I'll be gone three weeks. You still got to come and listen to the sermons, though. I'm just kidding. I got great people speaking lined up. It's going to be amazing. We're doing our Bits and Pieces series, our Odds and Ends series. So we're going to have um, various topics. So it's going to be good. Let me leave you with this word from the book of Ephesians. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. God bless you all and go in peace. Pastor Adam here. Well, I want to thank you for tuning in to Grace Bible Church, and I would love to hear what you thought of today's program or of ways that we can be praying for you and with you. So check us out on social media at GBCL. Also, if you would like to support our ministry, you can give securely at our website at www.gbclm.org. Now remember, God loves you, and so do we.